All right, church, I, I hope if you have your Bibles with you, you'll begin making your way to the letter of 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 7 is where we're heading. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. We've been in this text for a little while now, and uh, we'll continue on, uh, Lord willing, for a couple more weeks here in chapter 7. It is one of the more lengthy chapters, and uh, we're right in the middle of it this morning, uh, picking up, Lord willing, in verse 17 and going through verse 24. And if you've read ahead, if you spend a little time and you're welcome to do that, I encourage you to do so. Uh, you pretty much always know where we're going to be the next week because I tend to walk through entire books at a time, and so we just pick up each week where we left off the week before, okay? And so you're welcome to read ahead. But maybe this past week, as you've been reading, you said, you know, this seems a little out of place. Uh, Paul's been talking about marriage and relationships and address divorce, and he's going to continue in some of that conversation next week and at the latter half of this chapter. But here in the middle, he starts talking about things like circumcision and slavery, and that just seems weird, Paul. What are you, what are you trying to do? You know, Paul is very intentional in what he says and what he does. He's very strategic. And so I, I don't think this is out of place. I don't think Paul just got distracted for a little bit and went on a little tangent and then comes back. No, rather I think what he's going to do here, he, there's a, a principal statement that Paul makes three times in these several verses. I just want to point this out before we jump into the text too much. But verse 17, he says this. He says, Only as the Lord has assigned to each... As God has called each, in this manner let him walk. You go a little further down, verse 20, he says, Each man must remain in the condition in which he was called. You go to verse 24, Brethren, each one is to remain with God in the condition in which he was called. He, he's really pressing this principle statement here in these verses. I think in part because probably the default setting, the default for the church in Corinth is that they wanted to change. They, they wanted to change their status. They wanted to move from where they were to something else. And so he feels inclined to three times here point this out. And so I think these illustrations that he's going to use today with circumcision, with slavery, I think in part what he's doing is he's going to apply this principle more broadly so as to almost say if it's true and relevant of these things, even more so it is true and relevant of marriage, of these relationships, of all these other aspects of your life. And so I think that's in part what he's going to do as, as we look at this, and, and there is uh, much application to gain as we begin to walk through this text. So let me do this. Let's go ahead and begin just by reading the text. I'll pick up in verse 17. We're going to read through verse 24. Then I'll pray, and we'll begin to unpack this a little at a time. Let me pick up in verse 17. It says, Only as the Lord has, excuse me, only as the Lord has assigned to each one, as God has called each, in this manner let him walk. And so I direct in all the churches, was any man called when he was already circumcised? He's not to become uncircumcised. Has anyone been called in uncircumcision? He's not to be circumcised. Circumcision is nothing. Uncircumcision is nothing. But what matters is the keeping of the commandments of God. Each man must remain in the condition in which he was called. 
Were you called while a slave? Do not worry about it. But if you were able also, become free. Rather do that. For he who was called in the Lord while a slave is the Lord's freedman. Likewise, he who was called while free is Christ's slave. You were bought with a price. Do not become slaves of men. Brethren, each one is to remain with God in that condition in which he was called. Let me pray for us. Father, I do thank you for your word. I thank you that it is true, it is relevant, it is right. And Lord, I just trust that by your providence, you've given us this word for today. And so, Father, I I don't know where everyone's heart is this morning, what we may be dealing with, what kind of baggage, what kind of circumstances. But Father, you do. And so, Father, I just trust that, that you might speak that you might speak into hearts, that you would give eyes to see and ears to hear and a heart to understand. Lord, do that work. Do what I can't. Lord, I can't do that. I can't grant that understanding. You can. So, Father, do that work among us. Lord, guard my mouth from error. May the words of my mouth, the meditations of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so as we begin to jump into this text, we start in verse 17, only as the Lord has assigned to each one, as God has called each in this manner, let him walk. We concluded last week on this very text, and we saw there Paul speaking and encouraging those to remain in marriage if they could, if possible, those who were married to unbelievers, and also, likewise, those who were married believers with believers to remain in marriage to persevere, to endure, to do that. Now, what we also see in verse 17 is that this kind of functions as a hinge, if you will. It, it certainly goes back to what he had said previously, but it propels us into what he's now saying. It moves us towards this illustration that he's going to begin with when he says, was any man called when he was already circumcised? He's not to become uncircumcised. Now, Paul here is not speaking specifically of that physical act of circumcision. A lot of times when Paul speaks of circumcision, uncircumcision, that's not his intention to to speak of the act per se, but rather he's speaking towards the ethnic groups that this recognizes. He's speaking of Jews and Gentiles, Jews and everyone else. That's how he often speaks in the language that he uses. And so that's what he's doing here is he's saying, Was any man called when he was already circumcised? Was he a Jew? Now, I think it's important for us to understand, just to make clear, what what does he mean when he says, a man was called? When any man was called. It's the same thing that he's saying back in chapter 1. If we want to go to chapter 1, verse 9, I'll just read this quickly. He says this, God is faithful through whom you were called into fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Called into fellowship. You move from darkness to light, from death to life. When you got saved, that's what he's saying. Was any man, when he got saved, when he came to faith, when he began to follow the Lord Jesus, to walk in obedience, was he already a Jew? Well, we know Paul fits into this category, right? Paul was a Jew of Jews. He was of the circumcision. And when he came to faith, did he then become a Gentile? No, he didn't. He 
didn't become a Gentile. Notice what it says. He's not to become uncircumcised. You don't have to, if you come to faith as an ethnic Jew, then become a Gentile in order to walk in obedience. He says likewise the same thing is true. If you're a Gentile and you're called as a Gentile, you don't, you don't then have to become a Jew in order to follow Jesus. Now that became a contentious debate among some of the churches later on, right? We know that some of the churches in Galatia dealt with this. We know that the church in Jerusalem certainly dealt with this. This needing to become Jewish in order to follow Jesus. But that wasn't a huge issue here in the Corinthian church. Most of them were pagan in background. Most of them were Gentiles. So why is it that, that Paul's bringing this up? Why bring in this conversation of circumcision, this conversation of Jew, Gentile, these dynamics? I think in part for this reason. There's a lot of religious significance. There's a lot of religious weight that goes with this conversation with ethnicity, with being Jewish, with being a Gentile. And I think Paul, is, as he makes this assertion, if this is true of this, if what he says in verse 19, circumcision is nothing, uncircumcision is nothing, if, if that's true here, how much more so with regards to all these other relationships with all these other things that you're dealing with. Notice he says this. Let's keep moving here. We won't camp out too long. He says he's not to be circumcised. Now again, this isn't a prohibition against circumcision. It's not as though he's speaking towards that. Rather, it's this change. This identity change. Becoming a Gentile in order to become a follower of Jesus. Circumcision is nothing. Uncircumcision is nothing. But what matters is the keeping of the commandments of God. Now, if Paul here is speaking of ethnicity, Jew, Gentile, and he says it's nothing, is Paul speaking poorly on ethnicity? Is he speaking poorly on culture? Is he talking down on that? Is he diminishing it? What does he mean? Well, let's just consider this. Let me remind us of this, that the Lord Jesus, as He stepped into humanity, how did He come? He came as a person, a real person, with a real ethno-linguistic identity. He was really Jewish. So God thinks enough of culture to send His Son, the second person of the Trinity, into culture, right? So we recognize that. We also think of what our brother said a moment ago in reference to Revelation. Consider that when we're around the throne one day. Fast forward. The new heavens, the new earth. We're all singing praise to God. What does it say in Revelation? People from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. Those ethnicities don't go away in the new heavens and the new earth. It's not as though we're absolved of all that and monocultural in a sense. No, those things are there. So it's not as though he's speaking down on or or dissing culture. But rather he says this. Let let me flip over. I I mentioned the church in Galatia. They struggled a lot with this tension 
of Gentile and Jew. Let me get there. This is Galatians chapter 3. I'm going to pick up in verse 28. He says this, There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free man. Now I think that's interesting because that's the same pair that he uses over here in 1 Corinthians. There is neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free man. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's descendants, heirs according to promise. What is it that Paul's getting at here? Church, it's, it's essentially that there's no ethnic prerequisite in following Jesus. You don't have to change your identity of who you are in order to follow the Lord Jesus. You don't have to become Jewish to become more Christ-like. You don't have to become a Gentile to become more Christ-like. You don't have to do that. And the implications of that are huge. Even in our day. Now, we live in a day that esteems itself as being more enlightened. We consider ourselves more culturally diverse, more affirming to everything, right? That's what the culture would say. But just think about this for a moment. We, there's subtleties. There's ways in which we, we fall into this. We, we have here a, a congregation that God has brought together that has such incredible diversity here at Calvary. I think it's one of the most beautiful aspects of this body that we have people from all over, from many walks of life, many ethnicities. But here's the thing. You don't have to become a better English speaker to grow in your Christian walk. I know a lot of you don't have English as your native tongue. You don't have to be a better English speaker to become sanctified. You don't. It's not a requirement. And likewise, I don't have to become a better Portuguese speaker to grow in Christ-likeness. Praise God for that. Now, I want to be better. Don't mishear me. Would it be helpful? Yes. But it's not a prerequisite, Okay? So it is with all of us. You don't have to become something else to begin following Jesus, to grow in Christ-likeness, to grow in grace. I think there's other ways that we fall into this as a church and, and even just the, the evangelical world as a whole. Two things in particular. Here, here's one just from my experience. I grew up in the American South. And there it was, it was very typical that if you were in the church, you were a follower of Jesus, and you expressed some uh, sense of moving towards pastoral ministry, vocational ministry, of some, some effect, whatever that might look like, the norm, the expectation was that you then went to seminary. That's just what you do, right? You express something towards vocational ministry, okay, go to seminary. Nothing wrong with that. But by and large, often, in my experience, what I've seen is in moving to seminary, there was an expectation that once you arrived, you dress a certain way, you have your hair a certain way, you have certain jobs that you work or don't work. There was a, a move towards a monocultural atmosphere within the seminary. Now, some of that was well-intended, because often it was coming out of this idea, well, in order to be a messenger of the gospel, you should present yourself well. There's nothing wrong with that. But what that so often became was that 
in order to be a messenger of the gospel, you have to look this certain way. And that's totally opposite of what Paul is exhorting us to here. And so often, those seminarians go back into the culture from which they came and they don't fit anymore. And they lose that sphere of influence that they might have had. You can apply this out into the business world. I, I know too many people that have come to faith, they've grown in... Let me finish that sentence. <laughs> a lot of people that have come to faith, they've grown in Christ-likeness, they maybe were a big CEO, or they were involved in the corporate world in some measure. And they, they experience this sense of, hey, I want to do more ministry. They go to a pastor, they go to a, a trusted friend, and the exhortation they receive is, well, you should probably quit your job, go to seminary, get, get this degree, do this, do this. That may not be what they need to do. It may be that as Paul has this principle here, stay where you are, it might be that the better situation, the better circumstance would be, hey, let me disciple you, let's walk in Christ's likeness, and God has placed you strategically in this place to speak into people's lives. To maybe reach into a corporate setting or a business world in a way that nobody else has access you see how quick we are to change our circumstance? How we, we're so quick to change our setting and our place where God has called us? I think that's in part what Paul's exhorting us to here. Each man must remain, look with me in verse 20, each man must, excuse me, must remain in the condition in which he was called. We all not be so quick to look for that change. Now, is it a total prohibition on change? No, I don't believe that's what Paul's doing here. In fact, I, I think, well, verse 24 I think will clarify that, but as we move into verse 21 and following, he begins to speak about slavery. And that feels a little odd. What, what do you mean by this, Paul? Look, look with me in verse 21. It says, Were you called while a slave? Do not worry about it. But if you were able also to become free, rather do that. The situation in verses 18 and 19, though Paul is exhorting them to stay as they are, there is this option to change. Whether they should or not, there's still the option. There's the possibility. Even with circumcision, there was in that day... Uh, an elective surgery that could be done. Some of your translations may even say the marks of circumcision in this that, that could disguise someone's ethnicity in public. It would make this more difficult to determine. So th there, there were scenarios and ways and situations where they could change and, and, and move from place to place and what have you, whatever the, the situation may be. I think what Paul's getting at is he gets to verse 21 and addresses slavery is there are some that, that do not have the possibility or the option to change their situation. They, they can't change this situation. They can't move from where they are. Their vocation, their identity. It's impossible for them. Were you called while a slave? Paul says don't worry about it. Why? Because your identity as a slave, you're... you're position there does not dictate your ability to walk in Christ's likeness and follow the commandments of God. 
If, if you have the opportunity to change that, if you have the opportunity to become free, do so. But don't feel as though you can't walk in Christ's likeness, that you can't grow spiritually just because of where you are. Now we, again, we, we live in a day that we esteem ourselves as more enlightened, that slavery has been abolished. And, and the reality is, in some places, yes, it has. But the reality is, it's still very much present in the world in which we live. Sometimes it's not called slavery. Sometimes it looks some, like something else. But functionally, it's the same. Maybe it's an individual who sends money back to their family, their country, wherever it may be, and they're, they're bound to a certain employer, and they know that they can't get out of that situation. Maybe it's someone's being sexually exploited, and they've come to faith, and they can't leave the situation that they're in. They want to. Everything within them would desire to move and change, but they can't. And Paul, I believe, here is saying, don't, don't fret. Don't worry. Don't sense as though you can't grow in Christ because of where you are. Something outside of your control. He says this in verse 22. For he who was called in the Lord while a slave is the Lord's freedom. There's freedom in Christ. No matter your circumstance, no matter where you are, you're free. Likewise, he who was called while free. So that would be many of us, I assume. You came to faith. You have relative freedom to come and go as you please. To go here, there, change your circumstance, your situation. But he says what? Is Christ's slave? See, the reality is, even as free as we are, we are in Christ. We are not autonomous. It's not as though we come and do as we please, as we want. No, we answer to Christ, the head. He's our authority. And so we recognize, Lord, what, what would you have me do? I operate under your lordship, under your kingship, your authority in my life. So we are not free to go and do as we please, however we please. So Paul recognizes that. He says, You were bought with a price. Church, that is a glorious statement. You're bought with a price. Scripture says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. Our sin has separated us from God. The penalty for that sin is death. It is, it is a, a weight, it is a price that we can't afford to pay. The consequence of, of paying that off is eternal. Because we've offended an eternal God. We've rebelled against an eternal, holy God. And what we see is that Christ came, gave His life as a ransom for us. And to those that will receive Him, He gives the, the right to be called children of God, Paul says. Excuse me, John says in John chapter 1. He gives the right to be called children of God. You were purchased. You were bought. Your debt was paid. You were bought with a price. Do not become slaves of men. I think he's exhorting us here, the Corinthians included, to behave in such a way, to walk in such a way, as to understand we're not our own. We're His. And when he says, don't become slaves of men, I think what he has in mind is this. There are so many individuals that operate in this this tension of 
if I can only do this, or if I can do this first, if this will happen, then I will be obedient. If I can do this, then I'll grow in Christ-likeness. If I can do this, if this will happen, if I can change this job, then I'll do this. And they're willing to subjugate themselves under others, put themselves in situations in order to make that shift happen. They'll say, hey, in order to get this new job, I'll do this. I'll submit myself under this. And they get in situations that they shouldn't be in. And I believe Paul and God is just commending us. Serve me where you are. There's no prerequisite on this. You don't have to change or move from this vocation to another. You don't have to change this ethnic identity and move to this. No, just follow the commandments of God where you are. Grow in Christ-likeness. Each one is to remain with God in the condition in which He is called. Now, I think it's important that we recognize He says remain with God. Now, there may be a situation, there may be a vocation you have in which you got saved and you can't stay in that. You're not supposed to. Maybe it's inherently sinful and you need to make that change. That's okay. Think about Paul. What was he? He was a persecutor of the church when he got saved. He didn't keep going on and doing that. Right? There was a shift. But I believe God wants us to serve Him where we are. I'll close with this. Back when Kathleen and I, which by the way, you can pray for them. One of ours is sick. That's why they're not here today. Uh, one of the kids is sick. But um, when Kathleen and I were considering this opportunity, we were going through this process of, of coming here, of moving to Brazil. I was serving as the pastor at, at Chapel Grove Baptist Church in Gastonia. And it would have been very easy to, in the midst of transition, in the midst of potential opportunity to simply say, you know, I'm going to check out for a little bit. I'm just going to put it on cruise control. I'm just going to continue to do maybe the minimal of what I need to do here in Gastonia, looking towards what God's going to do in Brazil. I could have done that. And I believe that would have been an incredible disservice, not only to the church, but the, the myriad of ways in which we saw God move over the last several months of my time there. We would have missed that opportunity. We would have missed that occasion whereby to see God move in incredible ways. We continue, we persist in godliness and obedience where we are. We ought not live a life that is, okay, I'm going to wait. I'm not going to act. I'm not going to walk in obedience. And when this happens, then I will. It's not what God's calling us to, church. So I don't know your situation this morning. I'm going to pray here in just a moment. Maybe you're looking towards a new life situation, a new vocation, a new place to live, or whatever it may be. And your temptation is to just check out and say, I'm putting it in cruise control. I'm just going to do the minimal where I am until I make this shift. I think you need to reevaluate that this morning. And I believe God would be honored if you walked in obedience where you are. In fact, sometimes He won't take you somewhere else until you're walking obediently where you are. So I want to encourage you in that. 
Maybe as I read the section about being bought with a price. You've never understood that until this morning. You didn't know there was a God who loved you so much to send His Son to die in your place so that you could have life. And you can have forgiveness this morning. I'm talking to you online too. Maybe you're watching for the first time. You can come to faith sitting on your couch at home right now just as easily as you can right here. If you'll confess your sin, if you'll ask Him to forgive you, He'll save you. And I want to encourage you to do that. I'm going to pray and you be obedient to what God's asking you to do this morning, all right? Let me pray for us. Father, I do thank you again for this morning, Lord, for life and breath and all things. I thank you for your word that's always relevant, it's always true. And Lord, I, I don't know what all you have for this morning, whose hearts you've been interacting with, who you brought here specifically this morning for this very sermon, this very text. Maybe they're dealing with life circumstances where they sense they need a change and, and Lord, they're, they're tempted to say, well, I need this change in order to grow. I need this change in order to walk in Christ-likeness. And this morning, you're confronting their heart saying, no, you need to walk in Christ-likeness now, today. Lord, I pray that you might do that. Lord, give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart to understand. It's in Christ's name we do pray. Amen. You be obedient.